0: This episode of the History Files is brought to you by Audible. Visit audibletrial.com slash historyfiles to start your free trial membership. the human mind, Many, many years ago. Building of human rights.
1: The guns at Malta evoke again the echo. In June 1948, all road and rail communications. Some things just aren't easy to explain. The History Files. We bring history to you. Welcome to episode 74 of the History Files, coming to you from the final days of October of 2016 here in the gloomy Pacific Northwest. Actually, it's at least occasionally blindingly sunny after a few days of nasty storms, but we don't want people to think it isn't cloudy here all the time. With Halloween just around the corner, we thought we'd take a look at the dark and tragic history of witch hunts. Most people have heard of the Salem Witch Trials, but this is a social religious and political persecution that goes back much much further in time before we start lighting torches though let's get uh, let's look at a few things from around the media
0: this is hollywood porting cast of thousand what else came of my trip to the library
1: romance education entertainment
0: for those of you who have been following our, the, our podcast and are keeping up with episodes, we talked about Westworld a bit last week, and uh, a new episode, of course, aired this last Sunday night. And so we thought we'd take a second to do a little Westworld update. There's don't want to do anything that that's spoilery, but uh, it continues to be out, an outstanding story. It's kind of gelling. The uh, different characters are kind of coming together
1: and some are becoming more likable and some are becoming more unlikable yeah
0: it's it's interesting i i have only one overall criticism of it i think there's a, one of the executives at delos is a woman played by a danish actress and i have a heck of a time understanding her and it's not because i can't understand someone with a danish accent they have her mic so low it's like she's mumbling and everyone else is completely comprehensible. And when she starts speaking, there's something in her delivery. I have a heck of a time with it. But that has nothing to do with history. Uh, I continue to defend the artistic choices they've made for most of their, most of the um, cyborgs, for the robots. They are really outstanding blend of historical accuracy and artistic license i think they've done a really nice job i i i think dolores is awesome she's our principal female character and i think they did a really nice job with her wardrobe and
1: well what is interesting is as you pointed out elsewhere that the character development is mostly going on with the cyborgs it's
0: going on with the cyborgs we did manage to see the original 1973 film this last week with yul brenner and richard benjamin and james brolin it's it's fun it's michael crichton's first film so it's kind of workman like i i remember it being a lot more awesome when i was a kid it's considerably less awesome now looking through my jaded eyes back it's at
1: 40 years old
0: yeah back at you know early 70s filmmaking but um you know, definitely that was a straight up, oh, the evil robots are malfunctioning and killing people. Oh, how will I survive? And this new HBO take on Westworld just stands it on its ear. It's, totally. It's, uh, it's not as clear cut. There, there are some good humans. There are a lot of creepy, bad humans. There, I'm already feeling quite a bit of sympathy for, these, for the robots. And and they're working that pretty. They're working that angle pretty hard. Mm-hmm. I think you you're supposed to relate to them more than a lot of the humans. And
1: they are slaves.
0: They are slaves.
1: Very interesting mm-hmm. whole conundrum going yeah. on there.
0: So if you if you go ahead, especially if you have a Judeo-Christian worldview, you kind of have to set aside your whole pre preconceived uh, context of you know the nature of. Of the human spirit, and then what you know what designates sentience and what you know having a soul and all that you have to put that aside. this is science fiction, and just go into the uh, the whole idea of you know and Philip K. dick used to deal with this stuff a lot, you know what what makes something real, what makes you a real person what what's the where do you draw the line between an automaton and an artificially created intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, I'm it's, i enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. We'll probably end up watching all the way through one way or another. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Well done. Yeah. yeah. So that's Westworld. Um, other than that, I do have a, a sort of a literary recommendation for this week that fits in with our theme, and that's a not-so-well-known play from 1950, Called The Ladies Not for Burning. It was written by uh, shoot, Christopher Fry, Fry without an E, so, you know, different strokes for different folks. And he, it was uh, originally produced uh, and starred John Gielgud and John Gielgud actually did a radio play version of it which you can find on YouTube and that's the only version I can find anyway is, is this one on YouTube that's the the radio, audio version with John Gielgud and who else is in it? Richard Burton uh, it's Vague Middle Ages story of a war, you know, a world-weary soldier who just, he's tired of life and wants to die. So he's basically trying to commit suicide by cop. He comes into town Hmm. and says, I killed some people. You should hang me. He just wants out. But he doesn't want to commit suicide. He wants someone else to do it. And then on the other side, there's this poor woman, Janet, who's being accused of being a witch because someone has it in for her. She's not. And she's like, "Ah, oh, I want to live. Help me. And they all end up at the mayor's house. And it's this and it's um, it's a fairly easy play to produce. It doesn't have a lot of sets and scene changes or anything. It, I think it all takes place in the in the dining area of the mayor's house. And people are coming and going. But it's a classic. It's a lot of fun and it it deals with this whole idea of not only the the character the idea of being world-weary and wanting to die and what could make him change his mind at the end of 2 hours this whole also the whole idea of what were a lot of these falsely accused witches what was really going on there what was behind it you know mm-hmm. cuz obviously she's not a witch but but the last you know. witch trial in England was in 1944
1: Mm. It was only four years before this was written
0: Interesting
1: So, yeah, who says they're civilized in England
0: <laughs> So anyway, the ladies not for burning I'll have a link to that YouTube thing in the show notes And uh, check it out
1: And of course, <clears throat> you have to have the recommendation of The Crucible Oh yeah As far as plays about uh, Salem Witch Trials Or a 1950s interpretation
0: mm-hmm. of the
1: Salem Witch Trials, I should say
0: yeah, that, was that Arthur Miller? Was that Arthur Miller? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I should know. I actually <clears throat> acted in that play in high school. I played Mrs. What's the lead character's name? John Proctor, so I was Mrs. Proctor. Anyway, Elizabeth, that was it. That's who I was. What, you were goody goody-two-shoes? No, it was a long time ago. Goody-two-shoes? There's no goody-two-shoes. No, but that was
1: actually a, a Puritan name. Goodie um, Oh good yes life. It, was
0: a, it was an honorific Yes yeah, Goodie <laughs> Yes But anyway Yeah that's, that's Everybody knows the crucible That's a classic Alrighty Well let's Move on to Speaking of witches Let's move on to our main topic Yesterday lives again
1: most people, when the term witch hunt comes up, they think of the Salem witch trials of 1692. The truth is that they were far, these were far from the first, and by comparison, they were a veritable tempest in a teapot compared to the mass insanity of the witch and werewolf hunts of the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries in Europe.
0: Hey, before you get any farther, werewolves?
1: Werewolves, yeah. These seem to be fairly widespread, the whole belief in werewolves. Um, and of course Europe isn't the only place where a belief in witches, werewolves, vampires and all kinds of demonic creatures um, weren't just commonplace but almost universal and in many cases these beliefs continue to this day.
0: So, so how far back are we talking when you say it goes way back?
1: Well, if if you want to believe what the the interpretation of archaeologists, um, Go as far back as you can go, and we're still human. Uh, there's various objects, there's structures like such structures within caves, and there's cave paintings that have been been interpreted, at least by modern archaeologists, as being associated with magic, or at least attempts to influence events or actions of game animals from afar. All right, so that's basically you know using magic. Hmm. Um, The first written accounts of what might be termed witchcraft come from, of course, the first cultures which practiced writing of any sort in the Middle East and in Egypt. Even in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, we find examples of witchcraft. Moses, of course, had to deal with Pharaoh's magicians in the book of Exodus. And in Leviticus, which is the law, it specifically ordains the death penalty for practicing witchcraft in its various, uh, you know, variants such as necromancy, the foretelling of the future, and the casting of spells.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the purview of God Almighty, not exactly. our business. Exactly.
1: So, these prescriptions, of course, had a major legacy in the later Christian era, which we are well aware of. But what's less well known is that even in the times covered by the Old Testament, witches were hunted down and executed. One of the best examples of this is with King Saul, who, of course, was the first king of Israel and preceded David. When he came in disguise to the witch of Endor asking for her help, she says to him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and wizards out of the land, Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die?
0: That's right. Yeah, he had he had put a big old um, no-no on all forms of witchcraft, death, mm-hmm. by punishment of death. Of
1: death. Uh, and Saul then asks her to commit an act of necromancy by bringing back to life the spirit of Samuel, the prophet Samuel, in order that Saul might discover the source of his sore troubles.
0: Yeah. Everything had dried up for Saul. He was he had defied God and all of a sudden the prophets weren't talking to him and he was like, Oh, what do I do? Well, I know I just outlawed all the witches, but I'll go see this medium and she can bring yeah. up the spirit of, of of uh of Samuel of Samuel and, and I'll get some advice from Samuel. Even though he knew that right. he wasn't supposed to do that. And of course, the witch of Endor is troubled by this. She said, "I oh, I'm not a witch. <laughs> I'm not a witch. Course, I'm not doing that's, this. That's punishable by death."
1: Yeah, and he says, "Oh, don't worry. I will not harm you for this." <clears throat> when she does her conjuring act, and then she discovers that the man in her presence is actually Saul himself, she is herself quite sore troubled. <laughs> but for once, he is a man of his word, and somewhat after his interview with Samuel after getting some very, very bad news, he leaves her in peace. Necromancy, or the conjuring up of the spirits and sometimes even the bodies of the dead, was considered by the Hebrews to be especially evil because it flew in the face of God's will. In other words, a person is dead due to the will of God. By bringing them back to life, one is defying God. And not only within the Judeo-Christian world was this a major breach of faith, but also within Islam. To defy the will of God is among the greatest of sins, and to be punished in a suitable manner. Almost as bad was the concept that, in order to cast these spells and make magic work, one had to be in league with Satan. Between the belief that these witches were both defying God and, as well, submitting themselves to the will of Satan, it's little wonder that the communities of our ancestors found witchcraft to be an abomination, and worthy of the most horrid fates of it's practitioners. The whole concept of casting of spells is itself rather interesting. As I understand it, it has a great deal to do with the magic of language. Words can literally conjure up images within the mind of the listener. If they can do that, what else can they do? Within cultures more attuned to the land and without the distractions of modern, the modern world, the spoken word can be a powerful thing. Go back several millennia, of several million years rather, and it becomes even more powerful. The concept of, my word is my bond, meant something then, and in most cultures without modern concepts of relativism, means something today. Likewise, in the Testament of John, we have, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Words were powerful things and not to be treated lightly. Furthermore, we have the written word. Likewise powerful things, when literacy was the purview of a very limited segment of society, then words, already powerful things, could gain even more power by being able to be sent across vast distances, yet retain their original power. Since most of the world's inhabitants up until very recently had no exposure to the written word other than as a repository for powerful, revealed knowledge, or perhaps as a uh, source of the reading out of laws of the land by an agent of the king, these were quite obviously things with power in and of themselves, and to be treated with great respect. You know, you you don't abuse a book. You don't fold, spindle, and mutilate books. You can't do that. So why shouldn't a spell, written down and later spoken aloud, also be of great power? With our hyper-literate world of electrons instantly transporting our thoughts to people on the other side of the world at the speed of light, such things may seem trite. Ironically, on the other hand, the technology we use every day is, in Robert Heinlein's words, indistinguishable from magic. It is simply now mundane. Although belief in witches and witchcraft was strong in the early Christian era as well as throughout the medieval period, it really wasn't until the 15th century, and the late 15th century at that, that the popular conception of witches among us really got going. Doubtless one of the reasons, or at least a catalyst for this, was the publication of a work entitled Malleus Maleficarum in 1486 by a pair of German monks, this Hammer of the Witches, was the definitive book for the next several centuries as to how to identify and then expunge witches from the midst of society. Usually, of course, this expunging took the form of execution, usually in one gruesome form or another. This period, which was actually over the course of about 200 years, was not only one with a strong interest in the affairs of witches, But it was also a period of extreme social change, which may explain a lot of the witch mania. The printing press had only recently been introduced by Johannes Gutenberg, which also explains why the book Malleus Maleficarum was available to be spread so widely.
0: One of the earliest bestsellers.
1: Yeah, it really was. It really was. But it also produced its own share of troubles. Martin Luther's own example of the 95 Theses posted on course October 31st 1517 no less so that's next Halloween will be the 500th anniversary of that
0: oh yeah it was
1: one of them the old social system of feudalism was collapsing and changing people were gaining new knowledge and power money was more important than ever in the affairs of man and rebellion against both secular and religious authority was widespread The standard explanation of the forthcoming witch hunts was that people needed a way to explain the upheavals and uncertainties they were facing. And it probably isn't too far from the truth there. There's, of course, another explanation, that there were indeed witches, warlocks, werewolves, and vampires abounding in the period, and it was only Malleus Maleficarum which revealed them.
0: I'm going with that one. Well, you know. It's more interesting, if nothing else.
1: It, yeah, and, uh, you know, it certainly fits with a, modern, a lot of modern fiction, that yeah. <laughs> they really are among us, and those horrible people that used to burn us at the stake, you know, is, mm-hmm. were terrible. We have to convince them that we don't exist. But anyway, the unfortunate result was that thousands and probably tens of thousands of quite innocent people were tortured and executed for no good reason, other than due to the unsubstantiated fears of their fellows who were looking for some sort of scapegoat to answer for their troubles. Between 1510 and 1630, there were hundreds of werewolf trials. I've seen some pretty outrageous numbers published Yeah, um, in the thousands, but there were certainly a lot of werewolf trials, um, which are a subset of witch trials, in France alone. Within Germany and the Netherlands, more thousands of accused witches were burned at the stake Mostly within Protestant nations who for some reason seem to have taken the idea of witchcraft far more seriously than their Catholic neighbors did. Perhaps it was due to more upset within society? Hard to know from this late date.
0: You know, I've it really bugs me. I've never been able to get my brain around the concept of torturing somebody or killing them as a solution to oh well they're trafficking in magic so we'll we'll torture them or kill them and that solves the problem i mean if it's a spiritual issue if it's if your soul is in peril because you're trafficking then how does hurting the body i mean i don't understand the whole mortification of the flesh thing never made sense to me anyway and of course i'm not i'm not a medieval mindset so i can't get my brain around it but i just don't get how attacking somebody's body is supposed to save their soul
1: i think they were actually trying to get information
0: out of them Ah, but they weren't really trying to solve a problem. They didn't care about the person.
1: No, I doubt it. But it's more of man's inhumanity to
0: man. As
1: -hmm. someone said, the most dangerous person in the world is someone who is doing good works by whatever means necessary. A truly evil person has to sleep. They have to take a day off. But do-gooders rarely do because they have the righteousness of goodness behind them. Or at least they think so.
0: Nothing more obnoxious than a do-gooder.
1: Oh, yeah. Literally, they don't rest. They keep going. And sometimes when these do-gooders are doing what's right for you because you're bad and I'm going to solve this problem by (laughs) expunging you from society by whatever means necessary, those are horrible people. Because they -hmm. they know they're doing the right thing in their own mind, Uh, even if it's a horrible, horrible thing that they're doing. Think... uh, I think the NKVD in Russia, you know, in the early Soviet Union, they they were doing the right thing by their lights. Wow. Let's go kill a few million Ukrainians. So, anyway, what to me is the most interesting thing is that the favorite boogeyman for most people today, which is the Holy Office of the Inquisition, was by far and away more interested in in rooting out heresy than witchcraft. In fact, it was not at all uncommon for a priest from the Holy Office to be sent to a small village in Spain or Italy to check on these charges of witchcraft and then to tell the populace, this is just some crazy old cat lady and she's not a witch, so just leave her alone under penalty of excommunication
0: yeah we're not just suggesting that you leave her alone you are going going to leave, going her, to leave alone. her alone now where are those actual
1: heretics I'm here to root out
0: yeah they,
1: <laughs> they didn't care about such things because they knew most of those people were just crazy sure. loners um, leave them alone now if you are if you're reading Martin Luther stuff. We will talk to you, and you won't like it a bit. Yeah, but
0: that's the real that's the real problem.
1: All right, they were trying to find these, you know, um, unconverted or semi converted Jews and Muslims that they could go burn at the stake. They were not looking for witches. They were actually more likely to protect somebody accused of witchcraft than they were to actually burn them at the stake. Like, you know, like most Protestant. Um, like the Protestants would be. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were much more interested in burning witches. Now, that doesn't negate that it was also done by Catholics, though. In fact, one of the more famous witches who was burned at the stake was Joan of Arc. Uh, she was burned by the English as a witch because she was wearing men's clothing, among a amongst lot of other, other things. things. Yeah. But I think it's funny, isn't here in World War One, hundred years ago, France was using Joan of Arc <laughs> as one of their, their as their patron saint to you know help them through this trying time and defeat the germans and who's their ally the english who burned her at the stake yeah (laughs) the english weren't they didn't use a lot of joan of Arc symbology no no now americans are most familiar with the story of the salem witch trials by comparison to what was going on in europe though these were hardly a ripple in the society of pure New England. But they seem to weigh heavily upon the American conscience.
0: Well, it's colorful.
1: It's very colorful. There have been books, there have been plays, there have been films by the bushel basket concerning it, uh, as well as, of course, there's a huge tourist trade in Salem, Massachusetts to cash in on the whole story.
0: I think part of why it's become sort of <clears throat> almost disney in a way, it's become this, this quaint er, um cultural legend or cultural part of American culture is because I think it wasn't this millions weren't killed or thousands weren't killed. It was, it was still terrible. It was terrible what happened, but it was only a few people and it was contained and that fire was put out. So, okay, it was a bad thing that happened and we can, we can make a legend out of it. It wasn't like, it wasn't like in Europe where they were killing thousands and thousands of, it was just bloodbath.
1: Yeah, it was a bloodbath. Um, you know, even though uh, even though the trials resulted in several deaths, in the long run, it was finally concluded that the girls in question who had been bewitched were simply victims of their own hysteria. Of course, this is usually what happens when the so-called victims of witchcraft start accusing people in positions of power of being witches themselves and therefore liable to the punishments thereof. So people in power don't like it. So when they started accusing people like Cotton Mather and whatnot of being witches. Oh, oh we got to no, wrap no, no, this no, up no. Yeah. And <laughs> no, you're not doing that. It's like in the McCarthy the quote witch hunts of in the Senate of the 1950s uh, Senator McCarthy stuff when he started accusing um, you know Eisenhower and some Eisenhower's guys of being—they'd had enough of that. That's that enough worked. of that. And you're done with that, even though one of them turns out to have been a communist
0: agent, Bettle Smith. Mm. Yeah,
1: Walter Bettle Smith
0: was, in fact. Anyway, so so this cold concern about witches and witchcraft was that. Uh, uh, in, Completely reserved for the European settlers. I mean, did they bring that with them from the old country, or was there anything like anything like that in the indigenous populations of North America? Oh
1: yeah, oh. oh yeah. Now, what is interesting is that the the woman, this Caribbean, Indian, and African mix slave woman, who started the whole thing by telling these stories of witchcraft and voodoo to these oh, right girls, in Salem, yeah, yeah. course she's using african and Mm -hmm. native american you know witchcraft mythology
0: Ah.
1: um and native american cultures were certainly not without a very strong belief in witches and witchcraft anyone who's ever read any of the tony hillerman whodunits about the navajo tribal police will have run into the idea of rampant witchcraft and werewolves among some of the more remote members of that tribe of the navajo tribe uh And they're far from alone in this. The mythology of most Native American cultures, just like virtually everywhere else in the world, contains some form of witchcraft and the ability to transform into animals. And the Aztecs even had had stories of vampires to add to this
0: myth. Okay, I want Aztec vampire fiction. Who's, is somebody writing that? Somebody get on that right away. That would be
1: interesting. Yeah. Mm, yeah.
0: I, I would look at that. That would be kind of fun.
1: Well, I guess I would explain some of the priests who were, you know, covering themselves in blood and all this stuff. Yeah. And certainly have a quick,
0: yeah.
1: you know, access to blood.
0: So, so we, we we're talking about the old world and then the new world up into the... Seventeenth century, or
1: yeah, about seventeen hundred or yeah, so. Yeah,
0: early eighteenth century. So, what's going on today? Are there do we have witchcraft issues that that people yeah. are dealing with today? Yeah, in Europe,
1: most of the problems concerning witchcraft come from recently immigrated inhabitants of Africa, where the concept and uh, really uh, complete belief in witches and witchcraft is very very widespread.
0: And and when you say that you're talking about through completely throughout a culture because in western Europe and n- North America sure we've got wicca, we've got pagans, we've got people who you know declare that they are practicing magic, but they are Absolute subset of our society. This is not something that permeates our whole culture. Right. Yeah. Whereas these people coming from darkest Africa, right, in sub-Saharan
1: Africa, it is it is almost universal. Um, I mean, you have in North Africa and the Middle East the whole concept of the jinn and whatnot. Very much, but that's kind of lightweight compared to what's going on in sub-Saharan Africa. Um. In fact, some of the individuals who are unfortunate enough to be born with albinism or born albinos are known to be hunted down and murdered for their body parts because, for some reason, these seem to be useful in various forms of witchcraft in sub-Saharan Africa.
0: Hmm.
1: Uh, in the New World, you have the combination of the African and the older Native American and then a top layer of European belief systems in witchcraft which end up getting combined in such things as voodoo and santeria. Oh, yeah. You have blood oaths, deals with the devil, and the casting of spells, along with necromancy, you know, like zombies, you know, Mm -hmm. that seem to be staples of, uh, well, I guess they're religions, and are quite widely practiced in the backcountry of much of the Caribbean and definitely certain parts of Latin America.
0: Oh, santeria is a big deal in South America,
1: yeah, and while there are, no, you know, there are no doubt that many extrajudicial murders of the practitioners of these belief systems, uh, at least there's no official recognition of them by means of accusation, trial, and execution. Interesting, one of, the, uh, one of the dates of the calendar most widely associated with witches and witchcraft, in the Western world at least, is October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, it also happens to be Samhain or Samhain or whatever it is that however the Celts pronounce it I'm an Anglo-Saxon so my tongue doesn't decipher Celtic languages very well but this marks the end of the harvest season and the beginning of a new year it's seen as a time of the thinning of the barriers between the present real world and that of the other world wherein fairies and the dead could pass at least for one night through this veil that separates them Not only is this holiday celebrated in the ancient Celtic lands as such, but also in Mexico as the Day of the Dead. And of course in the US and other European nations as a good excuse to spend money on costumes and candy that we really don't need to consume. (laughs) Oh well. So while the concept of witches and witchcraft is, is quite ancient and was very, very serious business for by far and away the vast majority of the time of humans on this planet, we found a way to trivialize it and make a profit off of it at the same time. Where others throughout the world still take things such as witchcraft and All Hallows' Eve very seriously, we in the West choose not to for our own purposes. Is there real witchcraft? It's hard to say for sure, but our own modern, sophisticated society seems to be about the only one that doesn't think there's at least something to it. Do I believe in it myself? Well, no, not the Hollywood brand with fireballs and enchantments and all this kind of stuff. That said, not believing in a cliched version is something that doesn't mean that I dismiss it out of hand. Since I've known people who have dabbled in witchcraft and ended up having a hell of a scare out of this, um, or worse, for their troubles. You know, we'll see what further research suggests. Stranger things happen all the time. Like, for instance, you're listening to this podcast, which even a generation ago would have been somewhere between science fiction and fantasy. So we'll see.
0: Okay. So there's our little look at witches and witchcraft over throughout history. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Show notes for this episode can be found at psychonfm slash THF74. If you enjoy this show, be sure to check out the other fine shows in the Psychon network. In the latest episode of Coffee with Jeff, for instance, you can find out the true story behind the game of Monopoly. The
1: true story. It's Ooh.
0: true. Now it can be told. The History Files wouldn't be possible without your support. If you'd like to help us defray some of the many costs of producing a show like this, head on over to our store at Zazzle. Pick up yourself a mug or a t-shirt. And even easier and super helpful to us are ratings and reviews. We really appreciate stars or even a short review at iTunes or wherever you get our shows. So, uh, you know, it's tangible feedback that really, really helps our searchability, our findability online. So think about doing that when you have a moment.
1: Well, thank you again for listening and join us again next week for another exciting episode of The History Files.
0: The History Files is brought to you by Bad Cat Productions, a proud member of the SciCon Podcast Network. For show notes, more episodes, or to join the conversation on Slack, visit us at psycon.fm slash thf. We also invite you to consider supporting this and our other fine shows by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash psycon, where a pledge of even $1 a month will help keep us on the air. Bad cat. Meow.